So Nehemiah 4, verses 15 to 23, this is the word of the Lord. When our enemies heard that it was known to us, that is our enemies' plans, and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each laboured on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we laboured at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labour by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is God's word to us this morning. And so, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue in our series this morning in uh, in Nehemiah, and uh, that's not clicking at all, mate. You might need to get it. Thanks. There we go. There we are. We're up and running. As we continue in this series, uh, titled The Rise and Build from, uh, from, from the book of Nehemiah, as I said, we just read through that latter half of chapter 4 this morning, but this morning we're going to do things probably just a little bit differently than normal. Uh, so uh, just a little bit of a disclaimer there today. What I want to try and do today is actually use this particular passage as a bit of a basis for going more into, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, the, the, uh, you know, these opening chapters of Nehemiah. We've seen that you know, the whole project that these people have been about is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. You know, they, uh, Nehemiah has been burdened as he's heard the news when he was there in, uh, in, in the citadel of Susa there in chapter 1 in Babylon. He hears the news of the, uh, the terrible situation that the, uh, the people and the city of God is there in, uh, in Jerusalem. And of course, God burdens his heart to want to do something about it. And uh, we've read through the, uh, the chapters where Nehemiah has approached the king. The king's given him permission, all of these resources to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And he rallies the people amidst opposition there in Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and the gates of the city. So that uh, not only is the city you know, established, the people can have some sense of security, but that most of all for Nehemiah, the glory of God can again be seen in, uh, in that place and in his people these people were about you know engaged in this particular work uh, but as we see with you know this as we said it's it's all about the building of God's kingdom and, and, and all about seeing God's name exalted and his purposes fulfilled and that's what the people in Nehemiah's day were committed to 
fact, we see it again in our passage this morning. You know, it, uh, last week we saw that as the people, you know, were working at rebuilding the wall, they come under this intense persecution and opposition from, uh, from several people who uh, were regional governors of that particular day. Sanbalat, who was the, uh, the regional governor of, of Samaria in the northern, the northern parts of, uh, of Israel there. And then we saw uh, Tobiah, the, uh, the Ammonite from the, uh, from the uh, western, sorry, from the eastern parts around Jer- Jerusalem. Uh, Geshem, the Arab from the southeastern parts. And then last week, we, sh- we saw that the Ashdodites were mentioned in that, and they were from sort of from the east. So we can see that the people are surrounded by these enemies. And, uh, and we know that they were under intense persecution, even being threatened that these people were going to come in and at night time and kill all these workers who were, uh, who were about God's work there on the wall. And that's why we see in the opening part of this particular section of the chapter this morning that uh, Nehemiah had put, place, uh, put plans in place where he sort of stationed the people uh, by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. He'd stationed them at the lower parts of the wall so they were very visible to their enemies. And, uh, and uh, we see that the enemies heard this, they saw what was, what was going on, and uh, that God had frustrated their plan. And then it says, we all return to the wall, each to his work. The people had this incredible commitment there to seeing this task fulfilled, you know, completely brought to completion. That was the task of the people in Nehemiah's day. The task for us in our day as the people of God building his kingdom is that we too have got plans to, 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 uh, to work out, to see God's plans fulfilled. And our task is not about rebuilding walls and gates of a city, but instead to be involved in the advancement of God's kingdom through the rebuilding of lives, of being God's instruments in proclaiming the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ of helping people see and experience the reality of God and his power at work in their lives. And, of course, we do that by the, the proclamation through our speaking of the word of God, but also through it being seen by others, being worked out in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Jesus called this process or this plan making disciples. In Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus says to his followers that they were to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to obey those commands. And Jesus says, and as you go about that, I will be with you to the very end of the age. And so our our title of our message this morning is that it's you know, God's work and, the, and, and our work, that we have a, a part in God's plan, just as the people in Nehemiah's day had a part in God's plan of seeing the city of Jerusalem re- rebuilt, we today see, have, a, have a part in God's plan of seeing his kingdom built in our own lives and in the lives of those around about us. That is our mission today, God's work and our work. And our mission, as I said, is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 4.19, we have a very, very succinct verse there which describes what a disciple actually looks like. 
In, Jesus, in Matthew 4.19, Jesus had been walking along the Lake of Galilee in his, the beginning of his earthly ministry, and he says to, uh, to those fishermen on that beach, you know, uh, uh, Andrew and Peter and then James and John, he says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That was Jesus' invitation to them. And in that we see that a disciple, there are three things that are highlighted in that verse which, which speak about what a disciple is. A disciple, first and foremost, is someone who is following Jesus. That is someone who has recognised their need for Jesus to be their saviour and then have come under his authority, have, have, have submitted themselves to his ways of following him and, and, and obeying his commands. We see in Matthew 28. And that's the, thing, the first thing that we need to ask ourselves you know, today as we sit in this place and call ourselves disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I really following Jesus? Am I real, have I really submitted to him and to his authority in my life? And of course, this will be an ongoing process, won't it? Because there are many areas in our lives which still need to come under that lordship and that, uh, and that authority of Jesus. But a disciple is someone who is actually committed to continually bringing those things into submission to Jesus and his word. And of course, helping others to do that too. So a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, but a disciple is someone also who is being changed by Jesus. As we see that submission to Christ, as we see that submission to his ways and his commands, we see the Holy Spirit works in our lives and begins to change us and to make us more like Jesus, conforming more and more to his image and to his plans and purposes for us. And then... Someone that the third part there is that someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus of making fishers of men. That is, we ourselves are very much involved in the task of seeing God's kingdom built, that we ourselves are not only disciples, but we're actually seeking to replicate ourselves, seeing more and more people become followers of Jesus Christ people who are being changed by Jesus and themselves then committed to that ongoing mission of Jesus. As I said, just as the people in Nehemiah's day had a plan to rebuild the wall, we too have this plan to follow in this task of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And it involves four simple steps of how we go about making disciples. We're going to look at these in a minute. We're going to look at them under the, uh, the, the heading of the four Ps, if you like. But before we get to that, I want to make clear right from the word go this, this, that the making of disciples is ultimately God's work. We need to make sure that we've got that clear in our minds. That no matter how clever and how accomplished our efforts are in proclaiming the gospel, unless God's spirit works in the hearts of unbelievers, then our effort is ultimately going to be in vain. Psalm 127 verse 1, which we've been speaking about you know, quite regularly over the past several weeks. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 9 you know, talks about this work of God. It says, as for you, this is all of us. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's among these whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That was our situation, which we've sung about it this morning. We were once in darkness. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is indeed the gift of God, the work of God. It is not a result of our works so that anyone might boast. As we can see, it is, you know, this, this whole aspect of our salvation is all a work of God. And it's all accomplished by God. We see it again in John 6.44 where Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, Nehemiah, he was well aware that if the people were to have success in rebuilding this wall, then it would be because God was behind it. We've seen, you know, over in uh, chapter 2 and, uh, and verse 8 of, our, uh, of Nehemiah, if you just turn back there for a moment. Nehemiah, you know, he's, he's been before the king and he's asked the king to be able to go back to the city. And, uh, and he says right at the end of that section in verse 8, And the king granted me what I asked for because the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah can see that this is because, you know, God has worked. We see it again in chapter 2 and verse 20. We're having called the people to the work and presented this challenge before them. And he says, then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build. God is at work. And of course, in our passage this morning, in chapter, in, in chapter 4, verse 20, Nehemiah you know, when he uh, you know, says that, you know, look, if we do come under attack and you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, and he says, not only will we fight, but our God will fight for us. God is with us in this task. And it is ultimately, you know, because he is with us and on our side that we will indeed you know, prosper in that. The building of the kingdom of God is first and foremost his work. And he will achieve it. Jesus, quoting in Matthew 16, verse 18, says to his disciples, I will build my church. I will build my kingdom and the gates of, heaven, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we're going to look this morning uh, just briefly at these four ways in which disciples are made, how we continue to carry out this, this uh, work of kingdom building, of building God's kingdom with his help. And the, uh, we do it in four ways. As I said, the four Ps. And the first P we're going to concentrate on this morning is that the first way we do it is through the proclamation of the word of God. Because God's primary way he goes about building his kingdom is very much through this proclamation of his word. God's word is very much the powerful and creative word that brings life. You've only got to turn to Genesis 1 and see all through that chapter how God spoke and it happened. There's this repeated phrase in Genesis 1, and God said, and what God said came into being. 
God's word is this powerful, creative word that brings life. You could say that there's only really one main central activity in this making of disciples, and that is proclaiming the word of God. And of course, the content of this word is essentially the plan and the promise of God centered on Jesus Christ or the gospel. Romans 1, 16 to 17 says, For I am not ashamed, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the followers, the, the believers in Rome. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This wonderful, you know, this wonderful message of, of salvation in Jesus Christ, but also of the glory of God. I'm not ashamed of that, for it is the power of God under salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek or to the Gentile. Paul says there is a power at work when the word of God is proclaimed. Romans 10 verses 12 to 14, you know, speaking of uh, you know, the, uh, this, this, the importance of this proclamation of the word, Paul writes, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him from whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In other words, Paul is saying here, we need to go and proclaim this message so that people can hear it. People can believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Of course, we see in 1 Peter 1, verses 23 and 25, the power of this word. It says, you have been born again. Those who have come to faith in Jesus, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And this word was the good news that was preached to you. We see the importance of the word, this proclamation of the word of God. Of course, this gospel is not just a message to preach in order to win people into the kingdom of God, but it is also a message to preach for the continual establishing and equipping and building up of, the, of disciples of Jesus Christ in the faith. Um, this book that uh, I've been reading of late, it's called The Vine Project by a couple of Australian writers, Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. They have this to say about that. It says, The gospel is not just a message to preach in order to see souls saved. It is also the message we continue to preach in order to build up disciples in their spiritual growth. The word that is proclaimed at the beginning is the same word that is proclaimed in the middle and at the end and every day in between. The gospel word concerning God's grace to us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is what crashes into our lives and which turns us around. And it is also what continues to teach, instruct and admonish us to godliness and faith every day as we await the return of our saviour. We as a church today, as I said, we're not about rebuilding a wall as such. We're about rebuilding, seeing people's lives rebuilt. And it is through this proclaiming of the word of God, through making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the most effective ways of gospel proclamation, one of the most effective ways is through sharing it on a one-to-one -one basis with those around about us. 
You know, we've been talking a bit about uh, mentoring in our church, and, and I think many of us have got this kind of, you know, sort of uh, abstract kind of idea of what mentoring might be. But mentoring is simply this. Mentoring is just sharing our lives with another. And when it comes to Christian mentoring, it is sharing our lives with each other around the Word of God and helping each other to, uh, to understand it and to, to obey it and to grow in, you know, grow in our knowledge of it. I don't know if you've actually got uh, anyone in your life who you actually uh, perhaps uh, get together with on a regular basis and perhaps talk to them about you know, the Word of God and what God might be saying to you in your life at the moment and, and you know, how God might be challenging you and, and what you're doing about it. And one of the most important things that we can do as followers of Jesus is to regularly come together, not just on a Sunday like this, but come together in, you know, in ones and twos and threes around the word of God and to be encouraging each other in that and, 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 and seeing what God is, is, is wanting to do in our lives through that time. These churches that are growing in our world today, particularly in these cultures that are, that are a bit foreign to us, not in Western society cultures, but in, but in other cultures, those churches are growing gangbusters because the people by necessity are having to do this. You know, to meet in this kind of context, they put their lives in danger and so they come together in small groups and one-to-one and they, and they spend time in the Word of God together and they pray together and they encourage each other and we see God doing incredible and amazing things in their lives and in the lives of the church in those kind of places. And I wonder, boys, what, what could God do in, in our society, in our culture, you know, when, when the people of God come together like that regularly and we're, in, you know, we're, we're in, in urging each other on and we're, we're, we're inspiring each other and we're praying for one another and we're coming together and we're, we're seeing each other obey the word of God in, in, our, in our own lives. What an amazing what an amazing thing God might do through those kind of relationships. Because in reality at the moment, folks, the Western church is in decline. Because we've got way too comfortable and we've become way too worldly. And we've not actually you know, seen following the word of God and obeying the word of God as being important for us. Yeah, we'll kind of give it lip service and stuff like that and we'll, we'll kind of obey the parts that we like to obey, but the stuff we don't, the stuff where God wants to challenge us on, we're happy just to push that aside or bury it down deep. And because we don't have these kind of conversations with one another, because we're not challenging each other, it's easy just to sort of, you know, have this kind of false kind of Christian p- persona. I think God is, is about ready to shake up his church here in the West. And proclamation of the word of God. Of course, it's also, 
you know, this word of God that, which we, we also need to use, not only toward, into, uh, to terms of, of you know, gro- being established and growing our faith, but in order to do battle with our enemy, the devil. You know, we see in Ephesians 6, verses 13 to 17, which again we've been quoting, uh, you know, quite uh, repeatedly over the past few weeks, this passage on the armour of God, where Paul says, Therefore take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know, this, we, we, we can't take on this armour unless, you know, unless we're in the word of God, unless we're serious about obeying the word of God, and if we're serious about encouraging other and inspiring each other in that. It's interesting, in this passage here in Nehemiah, and I know it's sort of, as I said, it's a little bit different today, but I just really wanted to uh, you know, really focus today on, on what we as, a, as, as followers of God in today's society and our culture need to be about and using this, you know, Nehemiah's example and the people's example from this passage this morning. We see these people as they're there, as they're working on the wall, they've got their, you know, their, uh, their uh, tools for rebuilding the wall in one hand and they've got the sword, their sword strapped to their side, you know, and uh, they're ready for battle. And when we go about building the kingdom of God today in our own society, folks, we need to be, yeah, using all of the various tools and that sort of stuff that we, use, that we need to go about our day-to-day lives, but we do it with the sword of the Spirit strapped to our side. The word of God. So the word of God informs everything about our lives. It informs everything what we do, how we, our motivations, our attitudes, our actions. These people in Nehemiah's day, they were, they were prepared and we've got to be prepared as well. In fact, we see these swords strapped by their sides reminds us that we are in this spiritual battle each and every day as we go about living our lives for Jesus. The importance of the word of God and the proclaiming of the word of God in our lives. The second P is the prayerful, prayerful dependence upon the spirit of God. And Matt, that's not working again, mate. Sorry, that's all right. We'll come back to that. Prayerful dependence upon the spirit of God. See, proclaiming of the word of God is only part of the story, one side of the coin, if you like, because at every point in the making of disciples, God is also active by his spirit, by his Holy Spirit. He, he regenerates and renews people by his Holy Spirit. John 3, verses 5 to 8, we see that. And Titus 3, 5, it says, He, that is God, saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God regenerates and renews people by his spirit. That, that, that beginning process in their lives, as they start to have their lives rebuilt, and as their lives are continually rebuilt, it is a work of the spirit of God. 
Not only does he regenerate and renew by the Spirit, he also speaks to us by his Spirit. We see that in John 14, 25 to 26, and John 16, 7 to 11. I'm not going to, uh, to read all of these out, otherwise we'll be here all morning. He transforms us by his Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. He empowers us as his disciples through his spirit to speak his word. Acts, chapter, Acts 1 verse 8. Remember Jesus says, but wait here in Jerusalem until I send my spirit. And then when that, that power comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Sorry, we're, we're a little bit far ahead. Let's go back. There we are. God regenerates. He speaks to us. If you're writing down these Bible passages, by the way, God empowers us through his spirit to speak his word. And also God gives us his spirit as our guarantee of our future hope in Jesus Christ. We see that in Ephesians 1 verses 13 to 14. So folks, the key, the key indicator of of the conviction of this in our lives, that is that prayerful dependence upon the Spirit of God, that key indicator of this conviction within our lives and in our churches will be you know, seen in, in how active we are in prayer. Right throughout the book of Nehemiah, we've seen the importance that is placed on prayer and dependence upon God. Right from the very beginning, the, almost the opening words of chapter 1, where Nehemiah hears what the state of the city, immediately he goes to prayer. He mourns and he farts and he prays. Before he goes before the king, he prays. When he's in the king's presence, he prays. When he's with the people, he prays. You know, when he's faced by his enemies, he prays. That passage we read to you just a bit before in Ephesians 6 where we're encouraged to put on the armour of God, it says that we had to do that with prayer. Folks, prayer, we need to, that needs to be our rallying point as a church as we come together in prayer. You know, as the people here in this passage, Nehemiah says, you know, you're going to be spread out far and wide along the wall doing this work, he says, but when you hear the sound of that trumpet, rally to us there, rally to us there, and then our, and our God will fight for us. It's, that prayer's got to be our rallying point, folks. We're spread out, you know, in all the far-flung places of, of, this, of, of our community and, and further afield in, in, in this work of God in our, in our homes and our neighbourhoods and that sort of thing. And we need to be praying together. And this rallying point's got to be here when we come together as the people of God. But it's also got to be, whoa, when we... Um... <laughs> now I know how Paul felt on the Damascus Road. <clears throat> Lost my track of train of thought now. All right. Prayer. You know, as, as, we, as we spend time with each other through the week, prayer becomes our rallying point. And as we pray, we can be confident that our God fights for us, that he is with us. Prayerful dependence upon the Spirit of God. Third point is people as God's fellow workers. You know, God's people 
are the agency by which the word is proclaimed in prayerful dependence upon the Spirit of God. You know, God chooses to work through us. Now, one of the things which, you know, we uh, need to be reminded of, you know, from, from day to day is, you know what? God does not need us. God does not need you or me to accomplish his purposes in this world today. He could do it without, you know, in any other way that he, that he chooses, he could do it because he's all-powerful, he's all-sovereign. He can do it in any way he likes. He does not need us, but God chooses to use us in this process. Why does God choose to use us? So that we might experience the great blessing of being used by the God of the universe in order to see people's lives changed and transformed and start living for Christ and his glory. That has got to be one of the most incredible privileges we have today as the people of God. God chooses to use us. He chooses to work through his people as, as weak and as fallible and as sinful as we are, God still chooses to use us. God works sovereignly in, under and through our actions with his own action by his spirit to achieve his purposes. And as God does that, he does not violate our will in any way, nor does he render our actions any less our actions, if you understand what I'm saying. It's like in, uh, you know, in um, 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 to 17, it says, you know, the, uh, sorry, no, not, that, that speaks about you know, the word of God is, in, is inspired. You know, God has breathed out his word. But in 1 Peter 1.21, it speaks about the writers of, of the word of God. As they recorded God's word, it said that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit in that process. And in that, what we see is that the, God used these human authors to record his word for us, but that through their actions and through their personalities and through you know, their, their, them as people, God still made sure that what was written down was what he wanted written down, as what he wanted was recorded. And for us today, as we go about our activities in living our lives for God and in serving him and seeing his kingdom built up, we use, you know, God, you know, we use our own actions, but God works in and through us in the process. It's 100% us and 100% God. God's people are God's fellow workers here, right through Nehemiah, we see you know, this whole aspect of God using his people and the people who were ready to, to, to serve in whatever ways they could. It talks about here in verse 21, it says, So we laboured at the work. The people laboured at building that wall. We labour at seeing God's kingdom built up in this place and, and further afield, proclaiming the word of God. And we're called to exert all of our efforts and all of our energies into building God's kingdom, just as the people were in Nehemiah's day. You know, one of the things that we see here is that these people, they made incredible sacrifices in order to see this, this wall rebuilt. Many of them worked outside of their normal scope of abilities and things like that. 
We see people who were ready to, you know, to come in from different parts of, of, of the, the countryside and come in together and work together around that wall. They were ready, you know, ready to leave their families there and come into the wall you know, in order to see it rebuilt. In our passage today, we see that the people, they work from sun up till sunset till the stars came out. We see that these people, you know, that they, they toiled through the day and then we see that they took their turn at guard duty through the night. At the end we say, Nehemiah says, Neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, but each kept his weapon at his right hand. In other words, there was this constant readiness. And I wonder today... You know, as we live, you know, in our comfortable culture and in our, in our, our, our really, you know, quite uh, uh, amazing kind of surroundings and all of the, the, the creature comforts and things that we have today, sometimes we're just not prepared to give up those things for God and for building his kingdom. We are called to exert all of our efforts and energies into building the kingdom of God, making all kinds of sacrifices, but always trusting that God is the one who fights for us, that he's at work ensuring that his will is done. And finally, the fourth P is we need to be persevering step by step. Disciples are made through the proclamation of the word of God, through prayerful dependence upon the spirit of God, with people as God's fellow workers, but people who are ready to persevere step by step, day by day, because disciples are made patiently and perseveringly over time. See, just as the people here in Nehemiah's, Nehemiah's day laboured persistently on the wall until it was finished, we too continue to persevere in being disciples ourselves, but also in helping others to grow as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to strive more and more to cast off what belongs to our former life and what Paul says, putting to death the deeds of the flesh and instead to clothe ourselves in the new garments that befit our new self in Jesus Christ, that new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, Jesus. Just as the people of Nehemiah's day worked amidst the rubble and destruction around them, they look forward with anticipation to the finished wall and to the city that has been restored. And we ourselves, we look forward to that hope that is ours in Christ, that one day we will be, you know, we will be welcomed into his presence and we will be glorified in his presence. And all of this stuff, all of this hardship, all of this struggles with sin, all of the struggles with opposition, all that stuff will be gone. But until that day, we continue to strive, we continue to work, we continue to persist in walking with Jesus day by day. Again, quoting from the Vine Project, it says, The Christian life is lived in this sense of groaning, persevering anticipation. Disciple-making deals in the messy realities of weariness and faint-heartedness. Isn't that the truth? And it, and, it, and it deals with our constant struggle against sin and against opposition. 
Discipleship takes into account the reality that Christians will be at different stages in the putting off of our old self and putting on the new self. Some will be new to the faith. Some will be weak in the faith. Some stronger in the faith. Some will be immature. Some will be in relational conflict. Some will be struggling with particular temptation or desires. Some threatened by a particular false teaching and so on. But it is by the cross of Christ we are rescued out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son and have an eternally secure inheritance in Christ that is already ours. Our daily walk is now in the light rather than in the darkness as we live out day by day who we really are, that is, citizens of Christ's kingdom. We are all at different points on that walk and need to keep pressing on to what lies ahead. Of course, that's just a reminder to all of us, you know, is that we need to practice grace, don't we? As we seek to you know, encourage each other and build one another up in the faith, as we continue to walk, walk that journey of faith with each other, we're gonna, you know, there are going to be times where you know, we're going to be the immature and the weak one and, and others are going to be the stronger ones and, and, and other times where it reverses. But in the midst of that, we show grace. And we don't sort of, you know, seek you know, to, to condemn and say, oh, you, you know, tis, 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 you naughty Christian. You know, you're living this kind of lifestyle, that sort of stuff. Yeah, we, we challenge. We challenge by the truth of the word of God. But then we get alongside the person who say what? And say, you know what? I'm with you, brother. I'm with your sister in this. Because I've said from this pulpit time and time and time again, as Christians today, we're just too good at cutting each other off at the knees instead of picking each other up off the floor. We've got to persevere step by step and show grace always in that process. Because thank God... He is indeed our Heavenly Father who shows incredible grace and faithfulness towards us, isn't he? When we fail, does God write us off? The walls and the gates of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day were rebuilt due to the powerful working of God who used the wise and skillful leadership of Nehemiah but he also used the hard-working, sacrificial efforts of the people to achieve his plans and purposes. And today, as God's people, we can also be assured that as we together seek to build his kingdom through making disciples, that his plans and purposes will be accomplished as well. Our task is to faithfully and perseveringly, with whatever sacrifices God calls us to make in that, Proclaim the word of God in prayerful dependence upon the spirit of God. So let us all today commit together to be about this glorious task and together see God do amazing and wonderful things. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, here in this passage in Nehemiah, we... It's so easy just to sort of read these kind of accounts and just see them as stories from the Bible. But these people in Nehemiah's day, they were real people like, like us, Lord, today. 
They were living in a certain culture at a certain time with all kinds of different challenges and all kinds of different demands and things on their lives. And yet here was a group of people who were willing to be about your work. And yeah, you know, they stumbled and they had their discouragements and disappointments and their opposition. But they laboured at that work. They were committed to it. And today, we as your people here in this place, in this world today, in our world, in our, our culture, we have been given a mission That mission is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to rebuild walls, but to see lives rebuilt. That you might be glorified in those lives, in our lives. So Lord, help us to be committed to that work. Thank you that you are a God who goes before us and fights for us in that that your will and purposes will be accomplished. We can take great comfort and security in that. But day by day, enable us by faith to walk with you, to have eyes that look around us, eyes open to the spiritual realities around about us, to see people as people whom you love, people who are struggling with sin, in their lives, people who have come under the domain of darkness and need to be rescued from that. Lord, help us not to, to just brand people with a name, but instead to see people as you see them, as your creatures. But Lord, before we can go and help others it's got to be real in our lives so help it to be real in our lives each day continue that work that you started in the lord jesus christ and help us to be willing and submissive servants in that we ask it in your precious name lord jesus amen